Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be exceedingly glad. I'll lift up my eyes, which come up my head. Welcome you to the broadcast. We have been studying in the uh, letter, the first letter to the um, to the brethren in. Uh, um, I was going to say the Philippians, cause, but uh, Thessalonians. Um, and I have a passage I'm going to read from Philippians here in just a second, but. Um, we have come to the last two chapters. We're about halfway through the fourth chapter at this point, where the subject matter has turned to the great event uh, that is at hand. And the, the apostles preached this way to all that had gathered together in the name of Christ, those that have obeyed the gospel, the groups that were formed through the years. This being this letter in uh, uh, sent to the church in Thessalonica was sent about 51-52 A.D. 
so it's rather early than most of the letters. But yet the subject matter is the same. And the idea of the day of the Lord, uh, the end of the age, all of these things were part of the conversation of the early church. And we should know and understand that that's our our goal here in this, that we can understand the writing just as those understood it in the first century in their own language. Because the apostles meant it. That's right, because this these are apostolic writings with the authority of the apostles through the Lord himself by the will of God. And that friends, is the authority that we seek when we want to know the truth about any subject. By the way, the uh, former teacher in this class, uh, Brother David Traxler, has been ill of late. Some of you may be wondering or have heard something, uh, but he's had some issues and uh, he's now in a, a skilled nursing and recovering from some of the procedures that he had. And I'll let Nolan tell us how he was feeling yesterday. Yeah, Mary and I visited with David for about 90 minutes and was really happy to see that his uh, speech had improved. Uh, and uh, he was very alert and had a lot of things to say and uh, uh, wanted uh, wanted everyone to know that he's glad that he's one of us. That was his message. So that's good. It was good to hear it. That's thank you. Um, maybe that'll help get us caught up to date. That was just yesterday. So uh, we're hoping that he will be able to improve and be able to go home and and be busy about the things that he needs to be doing there for the good of the. Go to the kingdom, if you will. Well, before I begin and uh, take off where we left off, as I mentioned, this terminology, this event, um, the end of the age and, and, and the nearness of the Lord, this was common conversation and language of the first century church. As in Philippians chapter 4 we read, uh, just actually verses uh, 4 and 5 break into a real familiar thing that I, I've always loved to read about rejoicing. <laughs> this is pretty much as he's closing the letter here. But he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known of all men. The Lord is near. So, as as we, this is what we need to understand and not forget and not let others forget. We're not looking to the future. We're looking back at this point. This was the, the conversation of the brethren in the assemblies of the first century. Now, 
we're in chapter um, chapter four and verse fourteen. I'll read the first verse again. It seems appears to me we didn't get very far last last week um, because there's lots of conversation and background material that we went through. But the the apostle begins his his teaching, his information, if you will. And I like the idea of uh, what our sister here, uh, Mary, said last week about the word ignorant. It's absolutely true. Uh, the idea of ignoring certain things. But it causes the same effect as not being aware of. You just don't know. You just don't have a good handle on the things you really need to know about the period, you know, your own days, if you will. And that's a, that's the important part here. Can you see that the things written to them was including them in the passing of, of this time? This was important to them at that time for some of them would be alive at the, uh, at the event the parousia, as it's known in the Greek, the, that is the presence of royalty. That's how the Greeks use that word. And he said in verse 13, I do not wish you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That was the, one of the main topics. What of those who have died in Christ, both the apostles and the Christians? And it goes on to say that you may not sorrow as the rest who have not hope. Now those that have not have no hope are not are not the Christians. They're the ones that are not Christians. And even some of the Jews, if they believed as the Sadducees, that there was no spirit realm. There were no angels. There were. It was a total physical realm. To them. So when we think about death, if that's what you believe in the physical realm only, you have no hope of anything else. What you will have, though, is fear of the unknown. Not so with those in Christ. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also God, those asleep through Jesus, he will bring with him. We're going to go verse by verse here. Now the if, uh, if we believe, or in, if indeed we believe, if you want to make it, uh, give it the power that the Greek has, there's that word, that pronoun coming up for us again, the we. What are we going to do with that? Well, we have to, if we're following the rules of interpretation, we're going to know that it's a first person, plural, and it's also present, active, and indicative, meaning that this is a true statement, we believe. 
we must ascribe it, as, as the Apostle Paul did, to himself and the other apostles. And if you're, if there's someone that is a grammarian that would allow us to not uh, to uh, change the, the pronouns as to who they entail or, or who they are pointing to because of the antecedent during this short passage, uh, we need to hear about it because there isn't a Greek scholar anywhere I've read that that has it. So the apostles believed that Jesus had died and rose again. And because of that, they also knew, because they had the mind of Christ, they also knew that God would bring those that had fallen asleep in Jesus and he would bring them with him. When? At the Prusia, at the end of the age, as the Jews were well aware. So, This is where we're at. God will send those who have died in Christ to be present with him in the Perusia. That was a promise. The, the, only the apostles knew this, but this was their teaching. And remember, remember now, this is spiritual in nature. So if, if you're looking for, there's many signs of, of this event the nearness of it and the coming of it Jesus gave in Matthew 24, Mark, Mark 13, Luke 21. There's many things leading up to this time, but no dates or anything of the sort. But Jesus also said a very important thing to the Pharisees uh, and the leaders in Jerusalem concerning a question they had, and their question was what? When comes the kingdom of God. Right out there. Luke 17, 20. Let's read it again so we don't forget it. I keep forgetting where it's at, but I know it's there. But that's not good enough. I need to remember where it's at so I can share it when I need to. Speaking of breaking into the chapter here, 17 in Luke, and having been asked by the Pharisees, when is the kingdom of God coming? Because Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom, the kingdom, the nearness of the kingdom. It was at hand. They just asked him a question. And I think they were authorized to do so. He answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation." Nor, and he went on to say, so they would have some context here, nor shall they say, lo, here, or lo, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, we just got to deal with these verses as the people then did. 
It was a good answer to a legitimate question. We have it today. The kingdom was coming, but not to be observed with the eye, but it was known and it was observed in the only way it could be, in the spirit. Better than what you see is what you actually know to be true. We can have no eyesight whatsoever and still know things to be true. Isn't that true? I mean, we may have found out that the kettle on the stove, where it makes a a noise and the water's boiling, if we touch the side of it, it'll burn us. We don't need to see it to know that for a fact. That's exactly what happened on the Perusia, the day of the Lord. It was known, and it, it was, uh, and that's how it was observed, if you want to use that word. But not with the eye. Not with the eye only. Now, this is where we're starting with this. And there's, there's uh, <laughs> uh, hard things in every one of these verses to, to deal with in the in the vernacular of the modern person today. But remember our goal is to know and understand what it was being said by the apostle just as those of the first century knew. Because they had more uh a little better handle on the uh the language We are dealing with translations, but we do have the original language. And we do have all of the the, uh, work that's been done through the centuries on preserving the Greek language. It was, uh, as I was heard as a boy, the New Testament was written in Greek. It was a dead language, so the word then meant the same today. And that's true in, in a sense although there are some modern words in the Greek language that's added because of technology, and even though some of those words are are English words or other words of other countries that have been added to their vernacular, but as far as the Greek language, it is a dead language, as they call it, and is still uh, easily translated um, if it will be faithfully translated, uh, and we have issues there too, but every time we run into them, we we know where they're at. Because if the English word, if we can't find it in the Greek, then it shouldn't be there probably, or it's a different word. We have to go by the original. Let's move on to verse 15. One verse builds on another here. Paul says to them, for this to you, we say in the word of the Lord. Now here we have everything we need to know. To those that receive this letter and those that would read it uh, in, in the area, this was said to them in that time period by the we, the, apostol- the apostolic teaching and the a- apostles themselves. 
in the word of the Lord. In other words, this is the word of the Lord himself by the authority of, from heaven, if you will. Now, all that being said, what does he say? That we who are living. Now, here we've got to deal with, with the we again. The Greek says that it's first person plural. Same as the we say. And, of course, it is. Because there was a question about the living, wasn't there? But you see, I'm I'm going to propose something here that many of you have never heard or wasn't aware of, and I'll have scripture to back it up. The we here represents the living apostles in the day of the parousia. And only them for for some of the things that are going to be said after this that we, okay, we who are living, who do remain over to the presence, that is the parousia of the Lord, may not proceed those asleep. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that most folks do not hold that we as I have just put forth here. You know, we the, the same scholars that that uh, will hold to the first person plural and first person singular and second person plural and singular, third person, they'll hold to it in all the places they want. But when it comes to this spot, why do we have such a argument? Because it's not, this doesn't fit the theology of Christendom man-made Christendom, or the uh, what is present in most of our assemblies. Do, and they will not proceed those to sleep. That was an important thing that they needed to get out. This answers a lot of questions right here. Verse 15, in the ears of those that heard this letter being read to them. Now let's look at this verse. In the word of the Lord, this is the authority and the truth that we, first person plural, the living and remaining into the parousia, which is not a verb, it's not the word coming of the Lord, it's a noun, it's the event. Day of the Lord, as the Old Testament speaks will in no wise, that's the double negative uh, given here for emphasis to those understanding, they will in no wise precede those having fallen asleep ones. The Greek has it. Those, and who are they? Those who had died in Christ, the Christians, the martyred apostles, or any other Christians. And of course, um, that's as far as we go. Now, we can also say that the righteous Jews that had died, 
that are obedient to the law and obedient to the promise, their, their faith in the promise of God, of the Anointed One. They also, in, 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 a, in fact, well, if you think about it, were also in Christ because of what? Their faith. Their faith in God's promise. God is the one who promised the Messiah. God is the one that, that had the prophets write about the parousia. Not only the, the birth of the Messiah, but the, uh, but the end of the age. These are all things that God gave to the people beforehand. You know, Neil, Those are the dead, but these are all these people are all all gone. They have died. It isn't real. I mean, at least in my way of thinking, other people might feel differently, but in my way of thinking, this isn't really traditionally held as prophecy. These words of Paul, but they are. You know, any time you're describing something that has not happened yet, um, but you know the, you know Chisholm is that it's not prophecy for two or three thousand years ahead, yeah. but prophecy for a simple number of years that those reading this letter might possibly see. Yeah, it uh, is future. Speaking of these things, uh, it's a future tense to those receiving the letter had not happened yet. You're right. So it is in that way a prophetic saying. But the the reason it is because no one could say these things outside of the apostles. It's the, this is teaching that only could come for them. Now it can be repeated. It can be repeated now by those that come after the apostles, the evangelists of that day and following, we can repeat this. But if we're, can we, I cannot repeat this in, in a futuristic way. Not now, even though it seems that this was always the rule. I mean, these things were, everyone was waiting for this because we all thought the we was the all of us, and, you know, we just didn't understand. But when we look at it this way, we understand. And I'm saying, I believe they understood that received this letter, that the we was not, did not refer to Paul and all of those within the congregation that we're living. And I'm, that I'm going to say then that's another difference that we have here. And i got a reason for it that I'll, I'll talk about in just a minute. The, the focal point isn't, isn't those who are remaining. The, the focal point is, is, the, is those who had already fallen asleep, that yeah. they would be coming with the Lord. That was the concern. That was the concern. That's what they were worried and about. And that's how he's solving all these problems, by giving all the other information around it. So they could understand and not be worried about those that had fallen asleep in the Lord. But you can see why they might have been. Because this was a new a new thing. And also the fullness of the kingdom had not yet come. The end of the age had not yet fallen upon it was near at hand. Okay, let's just move on or we're not going to get 
done with this. In verse 16 it says, Because the Lord himself in a shout, in the voice of a chief messenger, and in the trump of God shall come down from heaven, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now we're repeating basically what verse 15 said, although with the additional information about the shout and the voice of the chief messenger, the trump of God, and we find these things used in other places in the Bible. But again, the dead in Christ shall rise first. He's reiterating this. Now he's going to reiterate again in verse 17. But before we move to 17, because himself, which is the nominative, this is the nominative uh, part of the, the sentence, singular and masculine. Who do we suppose we're talking about here now? It's the Lord, isn't it? Yes, this represents the Lord, as we find in the, in, the, in the sentence. The Lord, with a shout, the trump of God shall descend, which is a verb, um, indicative, future, in the middle voice. No argument there. Now, as far as the nature of of the Lord at this time, is, is, is the Lord flesh and blood at this time, friends? Or is he, does, is he in the uh, spiritual realm? Well, he is. As he said of his father, God is spirit. So let's not confuse that. But nonetheless, his presence, it's his presence that is descending. And that presence was felt, friends, from heaven. From heaven. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Also a verb indicative in future tense, also in the middle voice. Third person plural. Um, why? Because these are the others. There's there's a number of people involved here. The dead in Christ. The dead in Christ. Third person plural. Future tense and middle. And it's indicative because the nature of this statement is absolutely true. And will occur, even though it is in the future tense. They're right. This isn't a zombie apocalypse. This is they are they rise to life in spirit, right? In the kingdom. That's right. Everything in the in the proper order. Paul's trying to establish the order. You know, when you don't have order in anything, you have nothing but confusion, and and it causes a lot of fear, it causes a lot of aggravation. This is order. This is bringing order to the end of the age, the parousia, the presence of, of the Messiah, 
the promises of God being fulfilled. This should dispel the fears of the Thessalonians as to what will happen to the fallen apostles and their brethren. I think it did. I really think it did. Now, verse 17. We're going to visit this one more time. It says, uh, as it is written, then we, ho- then we who are living, who are remaining over together with them, shall be caught away in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so also with the Lord we shall be. Okay. Now, I'm saying that the we here is following the same pattern we've had all the way through. It's first person plural. The apostles that are living who are remaining over um, who are remaining over unto the presence of the Lord. So it gives everything we need to know, time period wise. No dates, but but all of the things to be, be issued up. Now the shall be caught up is what Everyone calls in the English word the word rapture. And of course, the idea of the rapture is there's uh, how many ideas is there? Well, almost person to person we have ideas about it. Um, I even knew, or I I saw on a tank of a motorcycle one time, a picture of a person uh, painting himself about 50 feet above his his motorcycle that was painted on the tank as him going up in the rapture. So when it comes to the, the, the word rapture, we can't talk about rapture in a Bible study because the word's not there. It shall be caught up in the air. Now, why do I feel or well, how do why would I think that this the we here only refer to the the living apostles as being caught up with the dead in Christ the dead in Christ will rise first and meet the Lord in the air to be present with him and and those that are living I'm saying the apostles because of the grammar. Why do I believe that? Write this down if you don't have it already. In Matthew 19, Matthew 19, verse 21 through 30. I'm going to read it that way. By the way, this is also found uh, in another gospel, and I just... It just slipped out of my mind of where, but it's it's recorded not exactly in the same words, but the same thing in another gospel. I think it might be Luke. But anyway, Jesus said to him, 
This is the rich young ruler. Okay, he had come to Jesus with the question, "What do I still? What do I lack to be uh, to uh, to be pleasing to God in all ways?" Jesus said to him, "If thou wouldest be perfect or complete, go sell what thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come." Follow me. But the young man, having uh, heard the word, went away grieving, grieved, for he had large possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, in other words, here's where Jesus turns to the twelve, Verily I say unto you, a rich man shall with difficulty enter into the kingdom of the heavens, And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to enter a needle's eye than a rich man into the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus, looking on them, said to them, With men this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter answered, answering said to him, Behold, we have left all things and have followed thee. What then shall happen to us? And Jesus said to them, There's the plural, by the way, of the, apostol- of the apostles. Verily I say unto you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit down upon his throne of glory you also shall sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brethren or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit life eternal. But many first shall be last and last first. Now remember this, verse 29 is speaking of priorities. Putting Christ ahead of houses brethren, sisters, and fathers, and on. Why do I believe it? Because Jesus promised it. In the regeneration, when God says in heaven in Revelation 21, 22, but just before that, from, from chapter 20 in Revelation through the end of the writing, God, God is saying, um, uh, telling them to write this down, for this is true. And um, uh, what verse is that? Let's see. Well, in, in, in chapter 20, we read this. John saw this. And I saw thrones. By the way, that's confirmed in Daniel, too. 
he saw the same thing. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them, and the souls of those beheaded on account of the testimony of Jesus and on account of the word of God, and those who had not done homage to the beast nor his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and hand, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But you see, this was judgment, a time of judgment uh, that those that were sitting on those thrones was doing at this time. But in the following chapters, God says, Behold, I make all things new. And uh, new heaven and new earth. Because John saw it in chapter 21. He saw it. He, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for husband. And I heard a loud voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall tabernacle with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, their God. In verse 5 of this chapter, And he sat on the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now, friends, this is the time period we're speaking of. This is the time period. Let me ask you a question or put this to you, because we need to come to a decision on who the we of verse 17 and the previous chapters are. Concerning the, the, the context here, what are we talking about? We're talking about things that are happening that are that have not happened before. Friends, if the we... It's a personal pronoun. It's also given as nominative and first-person plural. Is not referring to the living apostles of that day. Then it would mean that every living person in Christ would be caught up away in the air to meet the Lord in the air. If it isn't the apostles only, then it, then most will say it's all. All those alive in Christ at the at the day of the Lord. Of course, this has also happened, as we know, this has already happened, according to the scriptures. Um, so it means that every living Christian would then be gone from the face of the earth in a twinkling of an eye, as it says in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Paul said, in the twinkling of an eye. This would also mean not one living soul on the earth would be a Christian. The body of Christ is no more in the flesh, on the earth. How then did we today come to know the Lord Jesus? You know, I'm, I don't believe that this is is the case, friends. Where is the testimony of those of that day saying 
that Christians disappeared. Now we have people saying, well, that there weren't many Christians writing anything in those days. <laughs> but that's not quite that's not quite good enough for me. Because if every Christian is gone, how is the gospel going to be presented? And doesn't it violate what Jesus said? That the gates of Hades will not prevail against his church? He made that promise to the apostles. Because this is the everlasting kingdom we're talking about here. A kingdom with no end. Now, that means that there is no more Christians if that's the end. And you know there are some that believe that. Now, I think this is this is far, far harder than to, to believe than just following the rules of interpretation and the grammar and the other writings of the Scripture that tell us that the we here, that the apostle is writing about, the we is the living apostles in the presence of the Lord, on, in the parousia. Because... Verse 18 says, the last verse in this chapter says, So then, comfort you one another in these words. Is there any indication that he's giving them that he's talking about everyone? No. No. I don't see it. Now, there's a lot of comfort here in these words because they're telling, they're giving all the facts. But, you know, we're not seeing it right today and, and they didn't see it right in many, many years ago. Some have come to the understanding of this, but I just cannot see that every Christian left the earth. Now, we're going to, I'm going to, this is a question that may less left be left unanswered in your mind. You need to think about it. You need to ponder it as I have and as so many others have. But in the second letter, in the second chapter of that letter, the answer to this whole thing is revealed. I believe. And we'll get to that. Right now we're covering these things that we need to understand now. we got one more chapter to go. What's, what's left to us but to believe what the Apostle says in this passage? The language and the grammar will not, will not allow us to think any way but the living Apostles were the only living souls to depart this place in the Perusia. The living souls. Not the dead in Christ, not not those others mentioned. That's what I believe the Bible is teaching. And of course, I I understand that there's going to this is a debatable a debatable point, and uh, will be debated continually. But if you look around, you're going to find that there's people on both sides of this issue, uh, many more on the other side of 
where the, what they haven't considered is that every single Christian mind, whole as heart, and soul would have departed the earth, leaving the earth without one, one soul that had a thought for Christ. I I I don't believe that is the case. But we'll we'll move on through this, and we're out of time today. I'm uh, glad I got through this part, and we may have to. We're going to be coming back to it. Um, as we look at other things. And there's, like I said, another chapter to go yet in the first letter that is also revealing. And we'll dig into those things uh, in the future, Lord willing. But just now we pray you have a blessed week as you are busy about your task in the Lord. Amen. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.